As you know, we are in the process of Bible Bowl, and Bible Bowl is going to be on Luke. And uh, this passage today comes out of the Sermon on the Mount, of course, which is recorded in Luke's Gospel as well as in Matthew's. This is a, a challenge that was brought to me by a, a, an acquaintance I know on Facebook. And uh, I considered it, and I am going to take it up. And I'm going to just offer it to you. I'm going to be commenting on it uh, through bulletin articles and maybe through some, uh, they, they call them, fancy word for it is blogs, but um, I'm not sure how to do that yet, but I think I might get into that. But what I'm going to be doing this year is once a week, I'm going to be reading through Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount. One of the things that uh, my friend uh, challenged the group of us that are on Facebook to was to exceed um, the, uh, the work that Gandhi did. You remember who Gandhi is? Um, you know, from India, uh, nonviolence uh, Hindu. Did you know that Gandhi read the Sermon on the Mount every day? So someone who is not even a Christian can get something out of the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe we can too. So I'm going to be doing that. Once a week, I'm going to be reading it. I'm going to sit down, and I'm just going to read it from start to finish. I was shocked as I read it from start to finish uh, this past Friday uh, how impactful it is when it is read in one setting. And I'm looking forward to the discipline of reading through it each week and seeing what I can discover and what God can, dis can lead me into discovering. So I challenge you to take that up uh, this, week, uh, this year with me. Um, see how deep we can dive into the teachings of our Lord and uh, how deeply we can ingrain them into our hearts. One of the big messages that we get when we go into uh, Scripture is particularly the need to love one another. Uh, love is so important, and uh, it is the link uh, that holds us together. Love, when it is practiced in community, uh, especially the community of the faithful in Christ, is powerful and life-changing. You know, even in that setting, even when we say no words at all, when we just come together because we've come together in the name of Jesus Christ, we're saying a lot. If we come together and, and just help someone out, there's a lot of power in that witness of our action as we live each day as living sacrifices, offering ourselves to God through service to others. And this is noticed by the world. In the years... 1991 through 2007, a long-term study was conducted uh, by Fuller Theological uh, Seminary in their School of International Studies. And the study followed Muslims who converted to Christianity, 750 of them during this period. And of those surveyed, there were 50 different ethnic groups and 30 different countries represented in that 750. And here are five of the most stated reasons that these Muslims converted to Christianity. The first is that Christians practice what they preach. They practice what they preach. Now, are we perfect at that? 
No, I know I'm not. But if we can, the more we can live in line with our profession of faith, the more powerful our witness is. Christians appeared to have loving marriages in which women were treated as equals. Your very life that you live with your spouse is a witness to the world of the love of God and the power of God. They noted that Christian-to-Christian violence was much less prominent than Muslim-to-Muslim violence. Unfortunately, I wish we could say that it didn't exist, but it does. Uh, But uh, as we know right now, and maybe you don't know, Muslims are killing more Muslims than they're killing anybody else. Unfortunately, they're killing a lot of other people, too. Uh, it, it's a, that, that, that radical Islam is, is become very, very sick. Um, and they look to the Christian world, and they see something better. As imperfect as we are, they see something better. And they say, there's something behind that. They said that the prayers of Christians had healed the disabled, and delivered others from demonic powers. You know, you, in our Western worldview, we often step back and say, what does that mean? You know, uh, but you know, put yourself where they live. When I was in Africa, those who had been converted to Christ were converted from a uh, system of worship where they worshiped their ancestors, the spirits of their ancestors. They believed the spirits of their ancestors had power over the living. And uh, when they declared themselves to be Christians, uh, they had to step away from that. And it's hard. It's hard to say that I believe that Jesus Christ is more powerful than all those other spirits because they're still just a real and alive to them. Uh, we need to realize that. We have lost that, and maybe to our detriment, because we're not as uh, defensive as we should be against the attacks of the evil one in our own society. But they saw that the prayers of Christians were effective. I know uh, the downstairs class is studying James right now. And, uh, you know, the prayers of a righteous man are what? Powerful. They're effective. Uh, we need to remember that. Others see that in our life and are changed by it. The fifth reason they gave was that the Quran had produced profound disillusionment because it accentuates God's punishment more than his love. And, of course, they were also... Uh, hurt by the, uh, the use of violence to impose Islamic law. Uh, things to think about. How we interact with other people and with each other has a big influence. In 2008, the Christian Chronicle <clears throat> lead article uh, showed how Christian love was opening the doors uh, in the gospel, for the gospel in Nigeria talks about Christian women who were teaching Muslim women basic skills they needed to improve their lives. It's a week-long course. They began the course as strangers, and they ended the course as friends. Another group of women went to Afghanistan and taught the women there how to market handmade crafts. In both cases, the Muslim women were surprised that Christians were honoring God in this way by helping Muslim women. The teaching about loving one another is one that we cannot ignore. It is omnipresent in the New Testament. Matter of fact, it's so present that it becomes like white noise, and we kind of overlook it. 
It, it becomes that TV that you always leave running in the, uh, in the, in the family room. Or that radio that you always leave running in the kitchen. You don't even sometimes pay attention to it. Uh, love becomes like that. And we, we can't afford to let that happen. The, this whole idea of Christian love and the power of the witness of Christian love is something we have to keep foremost in our, in our hearts and in our minds, uh, in our actions. Because it's easy to say, oh, Roger's going to preach about love again. It's a love sermon again. And it's time to zone out. That's that white noise that we're always hearing. Don't zone out. Listen in. Matter of fact, I would beg you to listen in because this is the basis of the gospel. To misunderstand this is to misunderstand the message completely. What does John tell us in his letters? God is what? Love. God is love. Jesus tells us in John the 13th, the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter, verse 33, that they will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. Loving one another, friend or enemy, is the basis of the good news. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, uh, verses 9 through 17. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never, never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who curse you or who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Now it's important for us, before we go too much further on, to note that the word that we're using today can be problematic. This is that sermon on love. So you're going to hear some things that you've heard a lot before, but they're important to repeat. Our English word for love is pretty elastic, isn't it? You know, you can love ice cream, you can love your dog, you can love your wife, you can love your country, uh, you can love your car. Um, you know, one word hits it all. And therefore, one word can kind of get diluted, and its meaning can kind of get fuzzy as we go through. The language that the New Testament was written in, which we call koine, which is, just means common, Greek of the time, uh, had at least four different terms uh, for love. And the ones that we usually focus in on the most are, are the words eros, philia, or phileo, sometimes people pronounce it different ways, and agape. Uh, Neil, Neil, Neil Alexander has given an easy handle that we can you know, kind of hang on these to understand each one. He says, eros, um, or, or agape, excuse me, is all give. And philia is give and take. And then finally, eros is all take. Um, you know, eros is the word that we get 
the word in English erotic from. That is the basis of that word. So you can understand that it's all take. Um, the word philia is the word that, we, uh, that was derived to name the city of Philadelphia, which we know of as the city of brotherly love. And, uh, you know, brotherly love sometimes is all about give and take, isn't it? Um, you know, it's not that perfect, noble love. But the love that the Bible aspires us, uh, or tells us to aspire to, the love that is uh, described when it says God is love, is the agape love. And it is all give. It is giving ourselves to others. It is that old slash new commandment to love one another that uh, John gives in his first letter, his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, and it is the word everywhere in the New Testament that is used to describe the love of God and the love that his people are to have for him and for one another. Agape love is always a love that leads to relationship. Um, it, it's not something that can be done emotionlessly, I guess is a good way of putting it. Um, we have to be engaging with people. John makes it profoundly simple uh, in a statement as he describes God when he says God is love. How did God deal with that? Well, he dealt with that by entering into relationship with mankind through his son, Jesus Christ. He, he, he expressed his love by becoming part of the relationship, by trying to reestablish that relationship that was broken. Matter of fact, Listen in verses 17 uh, to how this love works out. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, verse 17, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. God the Father God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have existed in eternal community with one another. If we have been made in God's image, and we see back in Genesis, the first chapter, verse 26, that indeed we have, and if we, have, and if we are truly like him in this world, and didn't we just read that? We are like him in this world. Then agape, love, and relationship will be the identifying characteristics that Christ's community of believers will carry and that the world will then know we are his disciples. That's not to say that we are simply a mutual aid society. Very different. You know, we are not run by a democracy. The church is not, uh, you know, just the ideals, the best ideals out of our culture. It is beyond that. It's more than that. Uh, Margaret Thatcher, the former pri British Prime Minister, describes the, the purpose of the Christian community this way. She says, when Christians meet, their purpose is not to ascertain what is the mind of the majority, but what is the mind of the Holy Spirit, something which may be quite different. Quite different. Our failure to understand the connection between God's nature and his church has led to many abusive relationships, even in the church. More the eros, all-take type of relationships, or the philia, philia, give-and-take types, rather than the agape, all-give kind. 
unfortunately, more like the world and less like God. And that's not the way we should live. Nancy Ortberg shares a story of how her daughter became more concerned for the wider community and how that concern touched her. She writes, One evening, my oldest daughter came home from a Sunday evening worship service. She had been deeply affected by the experience, and a response had written on a piece of paper, Help me not to be okay just because everything is okay with me. She writes, I was so moved by what she wrote that I tacked that piece of paper up on our cork board in the kitchen as a reminder that in community it is always we. In community, if someone is not okay, then to some degree, I am not okay. I think that bears repeating that last sentence. In community, if someone else is not okay, then to some degree, I am not okay. And if I'm okay with something being wrong with somebody else and it doesn't affect me, then something's wrong with me. As this old song goes, no man is an island, no man stands alone. This is always helpful advice to remember in life, but especially in the church. Because this one anotherness is vital to our being witness to Christ, to the world, as well as just getting along with one another and finding the strength we need to go on. Without the one another link, we are not the church of Christ. We are just a social club that either no longer has a focus or has the wrong focus. This one another nature of community is illustrated in a story about the life of uh, Denzel Washington. Uh, Denzel had finally made it big in acting, and uh, he came back home. And he writes this. He says, I walked in the house one day, and feeling full of myself, a movie star and all, I said to my mother, did you ever think this was going to happen? And she was like, please. First of all, go wash the windows for me. You have no idea how many people have been praying for you when you were being a knucklehead. Please. <laughs> you know, we've all been knuckleheads. We've all been knuckleheads. You know, a lot of you may know the story of Glenda and I, but Glenda and I met years before we got married. Even dated a little bit before I ran off to Germany. But I, I didn't know that I was already sunk because the ladies' Bible class was praying. <laughs> and uh, took about four years. There it was. Prayer works. People need to pray for knuckleheads. We need to pray for each other because we're all knuckleheads at some level or another. We've all believed that it was our actions that produced the great results in our life. We've all thought that we could make it just fine on our own. And hopefully we've all had a community of faithful, loving brothers and sisters in Christ, mothers and fathers in Christ, who have gotten down on their knees praying for us the whole time because we cannot never will, not in a million years, make it on our own. We need one another. We were created in the image of God. Remember that? We stated that. We're created in the image of God. 
And if God exists in eternal community with the Son and Holy Spirit, what makes us think that we can live this life, spiritually speaking, all on our own, without a community around us? Spiritually, that's a good way to lose your faith, to think you can do that. But even on an emotional, social, even physiological basis, research has shown us the importance of community. Uh, research done by the U of M uh, just before the end of the 20th century uh, studied over 3,000 men and women in the U.S., Finland, and Sweden. And it included uh, tasks, uh, it, it concluded that the lack of social responsibilities heightens one's susceptibility to illness and death. Researchers claim that loneliness is as significant to mortality rates as smoking, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and obesity. You know, the sort of isolation uh, that, that is characterized, you know, that the steady characterized, uh, it, it, it takes you away from having somebody to share with. It takes you away from somebody to be able to share those private feelings, hopes, and fears. And the lead researchers of the study estimated that a fully 10 to 20 percent of people who have close contact with, uh, or, or a full 10 to 20 percent of people um, have close contact with less than uh, 20 other people a week. I mean, you know, it causes problems uh, if we are not able to be together. We need each other. We need to love each other. It's an imperative. It's a command. Uh, it's Christ's command that we do that. It's that old, new command that he has given to us. But it has to be the right kind of love. Uh, Eugene Peterson explains the importance of community uh, in our walk with God. He says this, Love cannot exist in isolation. Away from others, love bloats into pride. Grace cannot be received privately. Cut off from others, it is perverted into greed. Hope cannot develop in solitude. Separated from the community, it goes to seed in the form of fantasies. No gift, no virtue can develop and remain healthy apart from the community of faith. The statement, outside the church there is no salvation, is not an ecclesiastical arrogance, but a spiritual common sense confirmed in everyday experience. If you want a deep relationship with God, then you need to learn to love as God loved. And this love will lead to deeper spiritual impact in our lives and in the lives of those around us. It will lead us to deeper investment in the kingdom and in each other, which will result in deeper faith. Christians, let us love one another. And let's love the lost as well. Not just with words, but with actions. Let us be in spirit and truth the community of Christ. And let us be him in this world. Because that is indeed who we are. Loneliness is a killer. It kills our spirit and it can kill our life. To be fully alive spiritually, we must learn the importance of community. The more we participate in the life 
of the community of Christ, the more alive we become. If you have been looking for God in books, that's a good place to go. There's some good books out there. If you're looking for God in philosophies or in science and proofs like that, you won't find him there alone. There's only one place that you can find him fully expressed here on this earth, and that is in the body of Christ, in his church. God has chosen to call his church, his children into the church. It is only there that his blood can cleanse us of sin. It is only there that we can be transformed into the image of Christ. It is only in the church that we can fully realize his love as we live in relationship with one another. This church is not perfect. No church is. But Christ is perfect. And together we are being formed by grace and mercy into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We reflect him as we let love flow out of us more and more. The love of Christ is what it's all about. That is what God sent Christ to, to share, his love. And the love of Christ is yours today. If you will be faithful to it, if you will heed the call, turn away from the counterfeit love that the world offers, and pledge yourself to Jesus Christ, confessing him as God's Son and your Lord. Obey then his command by dying to the things of this world and being raised to newness of life in him. That's done in baptism, where you spiritually die, are buried in the waters, and then are raised again, made new, born again into a spiritual family, the family of God. And in this family, you will grow. And yes, in this family, don't we learn through sometimes hurting one another, sometimes blessing one another? It's, it's a, you know, if, you never, if you're an only child, you may not completely understand this process. <laughs> but it's a good process. And ultimately, it is a blessing for all of us. Because Jesus is here. And he is the head of this body, the head of this family. And if we will join in, he will let us grow and he will perfect us day by day as we become more and more like him. God is love. And that love is designed to be experienced in, in community. I want to encourage you today, if you are looking to find Christ in your life, come to him. Take him on as your savior in baptism. Join into this community, this community of Christ, his church, and experience salvation, mercy, forgiveness, grace, and love. Why don't you come now as we stand and as we sing?